0: Welcome back to Kai Alpha. I'm so excited you guys are all here. We are so glad that you're joining us tonight. I hope that your first week of classes went OK. I hope none of you like flunked out yet, so that's always good. I hope you passed. You're all here still, so that's always a good start. Syllabus week is over, and now you get to do the real fun stuff like tests and papers. And Amen. You guys are all so pumped. Like, yes, I want to write a paper. College is so much fun. If this is your first time with us, I just want to thank you for joining us. I'm so glad that you decided to check out Kai Alpha tonight. I pray that you will feel not only loved by God, which is really important, but also you'll feel loved by the people in this room. Our prayer at Chi is that you will encounter the love of God, but also that you will grow with others. And that's why we believe in small groups, because we believe friends are really important. So that's pretty cool. For those of you that were here last week, last week was pretty awesome, I think. I had so much fun getting to meet a lot of you. We got to see Jesus show up. It was so cool. It was so cool to start the school year off together, and I'm just so excited for this school year. I've been praying for all of you this past week, and I'm convinced that there are some world changers in this room. Just what God did this past week and the students that are in this room, you guys are going to absolutely turn this world upside down. And I'm just so thankful I get to be a part of it. You guys are incredible. And thank you for coming back this week. That means a lot to me. It's always a good sign. This week is one of the best weeks of the year because we have small groups starting. We've been talking all about small groups. The small groups are my favorite part of Chi Alpha. I met some of my very best friends through small group and leading a Chi Alpha small group when I was a student here at I is one of my favorite things I've ever done. Small group will change your life because you'll develop intimate relationships. I don't know about you guys, but for me in high school, I'll be honest, my friends and I, we hung out all the time but never talked about anything deep. All we did is like talk about sports and video games and like make fun of each other. And we're like, this is friendship. Yay. That wasn't that fun of friendship. And then I came to Chi Alpha and I got involved in a small group that was vulnerable and real with each other and like We were nice to each other. I was like, oh, this is crazy. This is so much more fun than my jerk high school friends, and it changed my life. Having real and deep friendships is one of the most valuable parts of my life now and what I've ever had, so small groups are the best part about Kai Alpha. I love Tuesday nights because I don't get to go to any small groups, so Tuesday nights are fun for me, but for all of you, small groups are the best part of Kai Alpha. You'll meet some lifelong friends, and you will grow closer to Jesus, so Please check out a small group this week. And if you hate it, you don't have to ever go back. But I do promise if you go, you will not regret it. Because our small group leaders are also amazing. So that's pretty cool, too. Last week, to change gears a little bit, I talked about how I played football growing up. And if I'm honest, nope, nope. That's not it. (laughs) That ain't it. Nope. Last week, (laughs) oh, gosh. If I'm honest, though, I don't really know why I played football. I was thinking about it this week. Summers are gone. It's not fun. You run all the time, and it's really hot. And I don't like being hot. I'm like, I hate this. Why did I do that? It was some sense of obligation. But that's besides the point. Last week, I talked about my favorite year of football, though. My fifth grade team, and I got to be the quarterback, and we won a lot of games. So tonight, I'm going to share about my least favorite year of football. This is my freshman year of high school. Our team wasn't bad. The problem was was my coach. My coach was a butt. Okay, he was a jerk. I still have, I have nightmares about this guy. That's not even a joke. He made us run all the time, which is probably good for the coach, right? But me as a freshman did not want to do that at all. So we would run these things called gassers. And if you've ever played a sport, maybe you know what they are. So you'd line up on two different sides of the football field, and you have to run to one side and back, and they would time you. And if your whole team doesn't make it back in time, you have to do it over again. So I would always get mad at the kid who was last. I'm like, come on, hurry up. But the thing that made it worse, though, is our coach would sit in the middle of the field and like talk about, he's like, to his assistant coach, like, what's your favorite kind of pizza? I really like pepperoni. Oh, like, the meat lovers from Godfather's? Oh, my gosh. And I'm a chubby kid running. Like, why are you talking about pizza? And I, and I was so mad at him. See, that year, my best friend, his name was Casey, him and I, we just hated it. We were miserable, and we felt trapped by our freshman football team. But we weren't going to quit, right? We were in bondage. We're not, we're not quitters, and we wanted to keep playing after this year. So we were stuck. It got so bad where before practice, Casey and I multiple times said, "What if we just like broke each other's ankles? Like one step on the right ankle, we're done. Season's gone. We can go home. We can play Madden and play video games, football instead of real football." We thought one moment of pain and I'm free. We obviously didn't do that. I'm like not very manly, so like breaking my own ankle would not be something I could be able to do. But after that season got over, mm-hmm, I felt so free. Free at last, thank God almighty, I'm free at last, no more freshman football. When we lost at the end of the year to like end our season, I legit celebrated. That's bad, you should not celebrate losing. I bet my coach did not like me even more after that, but I was like, yes, thank God, I don't have to go back to here. I felt enslaved that year of football, but when we were freed, my life felt completely different. I went from going to bed early to staying up real late, which for me is like 10 p.m. That's really late for me. Sorry if that's like early. I know some people say it's like 4 in the morning, but I'm not that cool. I went back to eating pizza ranch for dinner every night, which wasn't healthy. I stopped running. I would skip leg day, which I still do to this day. And the freedom of that year being over really changed me. Looking back, I don't think that change was like for the good, but it was a change. See, I think many of us here tonight, we feel enslaved to something. You feel trapped by something. Maybe it's something as simple as school. Like you feel like you're never going to graduate. I promise you, you will. One of my least favorite parts of my job is people come and go. You guys all leave, but I stay, so it's kind of sad when you leave. Anywho. Maybe you have a really needy boyfriend who makes you feel really trapped. Like if you don't snap him back in like two minutes, he's jumping down your throat angry at you, and you just feel engulfed by this man. Maybe you feel enslaved to your family. Like you'll never be free of the dysfunction. Like you're stuck in your heritage. Or possibly there's a sin in your life that feels like bondage. Maybe you're addicted to pornography and you feel like you have no hope of overcoming it. You feel enslaved to that addiction. Maybe there's a substance that's enslaved you, a drug, alcohol, nicotine. There's something in your life that you just can't shake. Maybe you feel enslaved to your worrying, to your doubt, to your fear. You're always nervous or anxious. Maybe not like clinical anxiety. It's a completely different topic, but it's like a slow burn of anxiety. just a little nudge inside of you that traps you. Maybe you feel trapped by a relationship. Maybe you're in a toxic relationship and you don't feel any hope of getting out. Maybe you and your partner don't honor God with your sexual boundaries and you feel like you're ashamed and you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't see how you're going to possibly get out of this. Or maybe it's more extreme and you're in an abusive relationship and you don't know how to tell someone and you just feel trapped. Or possibly you just feel enslaved to looking the part, to having the right clothes, to doing the right Instagram posts, to looking like you have it all together to keep your image as the good Christian or the good student No matter what it is, I think many of us in here feel trapped by something. Whether it's a sexual sin, our identity, a substance, many of us have something in our life that just kind of feels like a chain just holding us down. It occupies our thoughts, it brings us shame and guilt and the feeling that we're just not good enough. Tonight, we're continuing our series, Hope is on the Horizon. In this series, we are looking at our generation and how we have a generation that, if we're honest, can feel a little bit hopeless. COVID, political tension, isolation, mental illness, all these things can leave us void of hope. Last week, we learned that our hope is not in what we do, but in whose we are. See, we looked at the story of two sons and how these sons thought they could either lose the love of God or earn the love of God. These sons were preoccupied with their performance when God does not really care about our performance, but he wants our hearts. So maybe you were here last week and you agreed. After the service, you're like, yes, I'm going to try to put my hope not in what I do, but in God. And maybe now you've been thinking all week, well, now what do I do? Tonight we're going to look at how we can use that hope and how we can have that hope to have freedom. That after we learn to place our hope in Jesus, not in what we do, that Jesus wants more for us than just the first step. See, Jesus wants you to call him Father and Savior. That's a great first step, but he wants to continue after that. He wants to set you free so you can pursue him. Tonight we're going to read another story. This time it's from the book of John. Jesus had started his earthly ministry, and him and his disciples, or like his friends, his people that were working with him, were traveling around. They were doing miracles. They were preaching the gospel or the good news of Jesus. And Jesus and his disciples were going on a journey. And to get to their destination, they had to pass through this country called Samaria. For a little context, Jesus and his disciples, they were Jewish people. That was their nationality. And in this time, Jews and Samaritans, Samaritans people from Samaria, they didn't talk to each other. They couldn't really interact. It was against their religious customs for the Jews and the Samaritans to talk to each other. And Jewish men specifically did not talk to Samaritan women. However, as Jesus normally does, Jesus goes against societal norms of his day to love on someone. So as Jesus and his friends are on this journey, his friends go off to buy some food in a town, and Jesus gets thirsty, so he goes up to a well. And we'll start our story there. It's in John 4, 7 through 15. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the students in this room. God, I pray that you speak through the message. God, I pray that you speak to our hearts what you want. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. I told you that Last week and every week we will have one big idea, one main thing to take away. So if you're going to write anything down, this is it. We can have hope for freedom and change in Jesus. We can have hope for freedom and change in Jesus. So back in this time, in Jesus' time, there were not Brita filters for your water. Usually had to travel some length to go get not great tasting water. However, everyone's thirsty, right? Everyone needs to drink. So this woman who was thirsty and needed water was sort of trapped She had to probably go out every single day to this well and get water because she liked all of us. She was trapped by her thirst. We need water. Water enslaves us. So by connection, this well really enslaved the woman. In verse 6 of the story, which is before what we were reading, it says that it was the sixth hour of the day, which in that time meant it was noon. In this time period, woman would usually go to the well in groups. They wouldn't go by themselves. It'd be a group of women, and they'd usually either go early in the morning or late at night because they didn't want to go in the heat. So this woman, the fact that she came alone in the thick of day shows us something. It shows that she's probably struggling with something, that she maybe has some guilt or shame. Maybe she's unclean. There's something wrong with her. The fact that she was coming at this time of day proves that something was wrong with her, that she was probably like an outcast. Plus, she's a Samaritan woman. So Jesus, talking to this woman, who is probably an outcast and is, pro- and is a Samaritan, does not make sense. According to their society, he should have left her in her isolation. But he doesn't. See, Jesus does not really give a rip about what society tells him to do. It's one of my favorite things about Jesus. So he comes to this woman in her shame, and he starts a conversation with her. They start talking about water. That sounds really riveting to me. Like, hey, how's the water here? That's kind of awkward. But he, then he asks her, can I have some water? And this woman what is like, huh? Why are you asking me for water? She's like, no, and just hides. To which Jesus then turns her rejection on her head and offers her something. He makes the argument that earthly water is just gonna leave us thirsty again, but the water that he offers will permanently quench her thirst. He offers to break the bondage of her thirst. He's obviously not referring to bodily thirst, right? Like we still have to drink water, but he gives something greater. The woman doesn't quite get this right away. She's really confused right away. But eventually she starts to get it because Jesus offers her eternal life. He offers her hope. We are like this woman. We are all trapped by something. We are trapped by a sin issue. Most of us have something in our lives that we just keep going back to that we do not want to go back to. We keep going back to that guy or that girl. We keep going to parties just to feel like we have friends. We keep going back to the comparison traps in our head where we constantly compare ourselves to other people. We keep being in bondage to identity issues where we try to seek our approval through other people and not through God. Or maybe we feel the heaviness of the chains of pornography over our lives. All of us have something in our life that leaves us enslaved. And Jesus is telling us that he wants to break those chains. That he wants to quench our thirst. He wants to remove us from the trap of our sins. When I first turned 16, my parents bought me a Mercury Sable. This Mercury Sable was old. It was ugly. It was smelly. I was horrified by it. And I was a pretty pretentious kid, to be honest. Like, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I really wanted to be cool. So I was like, this car stinks. And I was mad about it. I remember I just felt hopeless when I drove this thing. Like it didn't even have a CD player, it just had a cassette thing. And I tried to plug it in with the aux in the end and that would never work. I felt in to my beater. And then one day I was getting ready to take a girl on a date. And two terrible things happened. First of all, the car starts making this noise. The whole time, I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, so she would sit in the passenger seat, right? Like the glove box, like the plastic broke off. It was just like hanging there. So if someone sat in the passenger seat, they would have got scratched. However, I was trapped with this car. I did not have a job nor the resources to get a new car. So I had to take this girl in this car. And I said, like, maybe we could go separately. She's like, no, I'd love for you to pick me up. I'm like, awesome, thank you. This is what I want. So I tried my best to spruce it up. Just you'll learn this over the year. I'm not like that handy. Like I'm not good at fixing things. Like my wife and I try to like kill wasps and she usually does it. It's, just, it's not my thing. So I like get some duct tape or something, try to tape the plastic up. I have no, cl- no chance I was going to fix the noise. So I just started playing music really loud when she walked. I'm like, hey, how's it going? And just yelling it so then she wouldn't hear the loud noise. But even though I spruced that car up to the best of my abilities and played really loud music, I was not free. That Mercury Sable. Trapped me. However, a few months later, oh, my parents bought me a nice car that I actually still have. When I got that thing, I felt so free. I cranked the AC. I'm like, what's up? I got AC in my car now. We're bump- I got the aux cord. I was bumping tunes. I was driving with the window down and the AC just because I could. So I'm like, what's up? I got a window that works and AC and music. You can step off, high schoolers. I felt so free. My thirst for a nice fancy car so I could look better than my friends was quenched. Again, I was kind of a butthole in high school. Sorry. Forgive me. Thank you for your grace. So this begs the question, how does Jesus do this for us? How does Jesus set us free? How does he quench that thirst? See, Jesus doesn't just give us earthly water, but he gives us living water. This means he gives us a relationship with him. See, Jesus knows that we all crave satisfaction. And he knows that we are going to seek it from earthly things, that we will seek fulfillment and happiness through success, through sex, partying, popularity, entertainment. And he knows that none of those things are going to quench the thirst inside of us. He knows that only he, because he's the only thing that lasts, will actually quench our thirst. Because everything else in life is going to leave us wanting more. Sex doesn't ultimately satisfy because it's done after the night. We'll want to go further with our partner. We'll go one step, then we want to go one more step, then one more step. Or maybe we don't have a partner. Maybe just about Tinder. We'll hook up with one person, but then we'll want another person, then another person. Because it keeps going, because we never feel fulfilled. The itch is never scratched. Partying does not satisfy. The next day we'll wake up feeling terrible. We'll need another fix. We'll want to go further. We'll want to have more fun. we got to get crazier. That didn't work. I'm not happy, so i got to try something new. Because the events of last night just didn't quite do it. Success won't satisfy. There's always more money. There's always another job, more power, a better resume, better grades. It will never be enough. Stuff, that doesn't work either. There's always a new iPhone. There's always more clothes. There's always more things to order on Amazon. Believe me, I get so many stinking Amazon packages outside my house, and none of them have seemed to fulfill me yet. Maybe the next one will. We'll never have enough. Popularity the same way. You'll never have the best TikTok. You'll never have the most followers. You'll never be the funniest person. You'll never have the most friends. All these things is like a distant dream that we see off in the distance, like maybe I'll get there someday, but we never will. This is why Jesus offers us something greater. See, we think that when we can do whatever we want, for a lot of you just came to college, and maybe you're free from the clutches of your parents. You're like, I can finally do whatever I want. I'm free. But what we learn is that most of the things that we try to do when we're free will actually enslave us. The only thing that does not leave us wanting more, needing another fix, is Jesus. He's the only one who can fully satisfy the deepest parts of our heart. Everything else is going to feel like we need to do more, we need to be a little better, that will never arrive. But Jesus fulfills all of our deepest longings. Jesus is the only one who can actually quench our thirst. Jesus is the only one who can make it so we don't have to keep going back to the well. See, this woman in our story is so focused on getting her water, quenching her immediate earthly thirst and need, that it doesn't quite click right away what's going on. She's like, Jesus, I don't really know what the heck you're talking about, like living water, eternal life. I'm not sure about that, but I'd like some high-quality H2O. I'm feeling thirsty. She's not quite getting it until he says this. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Here comes Jesus. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, Our Father is worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The thing that I love about this story is Jesus is really patient with the woman. See, the woman's kind of deceitful with Jesus, right? She's like, I don't have a husband, which is kind of the truth, but kind of not. She's clearly trying to hide things from her past, but Jesus doesn't get mad at her. He doesn't, like, scream at her and say, how dare you lie to me? Here's lightning. He doesn't do that, but he also doesn't go along with it. He pushes back at her and points out. She's like, hey, you're not being quite truthful. She keeps deflecting. She tries to talk about mountains and try to avoid this this subject. And Jesus keeps being patient with her. He never gets mad at her. Jesus is patient with us. He will take time with us. Jesus isn't on some specific schedule where he has to hurry us through discipleship. But instead, he'll be patient. However, while Jesus is patient with us, he's not going to let us stay in our bondage. Jesus will push through. He kept pushing this woman back to the truth. He kept going back to it and saying, you need living water. He kept pushing back. See, he calls out the fact that she has five husbands. Jesus could have just said, okay, we'll just kind of go with it so I can love you. But no, he calls out the five husbands. And this time, obviously, having five husbands is frowned upon. However, Jesus doesn't get mad at the woman, but he empathizes with her. He brings up the thing that brings her shame, not to embarrass her, but to show her, hey, I know your past. I know you screwed up, and I still want a relationship with you. And that wakes the woman up. See, something that's interesting about this time period is in this time period, the woman would not have left her husband. That wasn't a thing. So what that means is either five husbands had left the woman or died. I think that would probably make her feel worthless, right? Like she's a screw-up, like she's doing something wrong. She said five men either leave her or die. She would feel worthless, rejected, and ashamed And I think that shame is what leads her to the sin of just sleeping with the next guy because she just needs something because she feels so broken. However, Jesus loves her so much that he doesn't leave her in the bondage of her sin. He doesn't say, that's nice, you can keep sleeping with that man who's not your husband. No, he calls it out because Jesus knows what Romans 6.16 says, which is this. Do you know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to one whom you obey? You are a slave either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Jesus loves the woman and he cares about her so he doesn't want her to feel chained down by her mistakes. That means he wants to free the woman. He wants to free her from her chains, and the only way to do that is to break the chains of sin off of her life. Jesus cares enough about the woman to speak the truth to her. Jesus knows that she will either be a slave to her mistakes or a servant to the righteous God. Jesus is smart. Jesus knows that you can't keep doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. So, by him pointing out the fact that she was sleeping with this man, he's effectively saying, I love you, but let's change that, right? Because that's wrong. Let's give you something new. Let's give you me. If she keeps sleeping with that man, she'll continually be reminded of her shame and her guilt, her brokenness. And all Jesus wants is her to run to him. Jesus is saying the same thing to us tonight. Jesus sees our sin, he sees our mistakes. Jesus sees the things that chain you down, the thing that you're thinking about right now. Jesus already knows it, and he just wants to break that chain. He's not mad at you, but he wants to free you. And Jesus is smart, and he knows that if we are to be free, we have to replace the bad thing in our life with something good. This is kind of a gross story. Roll with me. When I was like 10 or 15, somewhere in that age, I was lying in my bed. And in my bed, I found something that looked like a piece of chocolate. I thought it was a fudge round, if I want to be exact with you. So I was like, again, I was kind of husky in my, oh, fudge round, score, this is a good day. So I I put the fudge round in my mouth, and as I'm chewing it, my fish is kind of hard, and it's certainly not chocolate. I had just tried to eat one of my dog's turds. (laughs) Yeah, it's really gross. (laughs) And you know something, fun fact. Dog poop leaves kind of a bad aftertaste, right? Like the coming in's not great, but the aftertaste is just not good. So I have this terrible taste in my mouth. So just by me spitting out the poop, that did not get rid of the taste, okay? It's still there. I needed to replace that terrible taste with something good. So I got to go get some gum, some gummy bears, some candy. I got to brush my teeth all at the same time, like 30 things going on because I need to replace that terrible taste with a better taste, right? We don't want poopy aftertaste. Amen, amen, somebody. And this is what we must do. When Jesus breaks the chains off of our lives, of something that's sinful, it's not good enough to just stop doing that sin. We need to actually change something. We have to replace the bad action with something good. We need freedom and change. So if you struggle with pornography, it's not just enough to say, I'm, gonna, I'm free. I'm not going to watch pornography anymore. No, you need to get accountability. You need to get people that will challenge you. You need to actually do something to change. That's what small groups are for. They'd love to help you with accountability and friendship. If you struggle with drunkenness, maybe don't go to Sharkies on Friday night, Okay? That's going to probably lead to the same response. Maybe you don't hang out with the people late at night at 9 p.m. on a Friday night who you go out and party with because you're not changing anything. So just because you say, I'm free, nothing's probably going to change. If you struggle with not trusting God, maybe do something that requires you to trust him. Go talk to a stranger about Jesus. Sacrifice time. Maybe you sacrifice time with Netflix or video games or homework and you spend time with King Jesus instead as a way to trust him. So you can get freedom from your lack of trust, and then you change something about your life to actually lead to change. Too often we say we're free, but then we do nothing about it. See, we can have hope for freedom because of what Jesus has done. Jesus sets you free. But if we want hope for change, we have to actually like change things. We are either sins to slave, or we are either slaves to sin or righteousness. So we have to replace our sin. With righteousness, we have to remember God's patient with us, right? God does not expect perfection, but He does want effort. Jesus wants us to be real with the people around us and share our struggles, and to start a journey of being more like Him. And a great place to start real relationships and start this journey of following Jesus is small groups. Come on, somebody, we're excited. Small groups, about to be bumping this week. I'm going to sneak into one of the girls' small groups. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. All the girls' small groups are like, huh? Don't do that. <laughs> When Jesus asked the woman for water at the very beginning of the story, he knew about her husbands, right? Jesus didn't learn that throughout the conversation. He knew when he engaged her that she had had five husbands. He knew that there was something wrong with her because she's isolated out in the hot, and he didn't care because Jesus didn't expect the p- woman to be perfect for him to encounter her. It's just like with us. Jesus knows our junk. He knows what we're enslaved to. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. However, Jesus loves us enough to not let us stay enslaved. He's patient with us, but he does want us to start a journey. Jesus didn't want this woman to be enslaved anymore, and the same is true for you. He didn't want the woman to be enslaved to her past, to that well, or to anything else. He wanted to give her hope for freedom and change. This encounter with Jesus changed the woman. See, what happens after this encounter with God is she goes to her town and she tells all them, come see a man. Come see a man. And she tells her whole town about Jesus. She didn't let this encounter to stay with her. It changed her. Presumably, her life is forever changed because of this one encounter with God. This one encounter where she had her thirst quenched with Jesus. Encounters with Jesus should change us. Just like it changed this woman. Because doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, is the definition of insanity. Jesus to change us. I want you guys to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you live out in a desert, okay? And you have a house that has no access to water. You have to walk 10 miles to find water. When you get to this water, it's not very clean. It tastes bad. It makes you sick. When you drink it, it makes you sick, but you have to go get it. You need this water because you're thirsty and you have to survive. Every time you go to the well, it makes you more and more sick, but you have to keep going because or else you'll die of thirst. So, you live out in the desert in this situation, and then one day you wake up and someone's knocking at your door. And you go and open the door, and there's a man. You can tell he's been working very hard. He's been working all night, actually. And he says, Sir or ma'am, I installed the water system into your house over the night. This thing's top of the line, it comes right to your kitchen. Tastes amazing. There's a separate faucet for bubbly with whatever flavor you want. It's the best water in the world. I love bubbly. No LaCroix, though. We're not pagans. Anyways, keep going. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have said that. It's getting late. So you're set up. You don't need to go to that well anymore. You don't have to get sick from water anymore. You can be healthy. You have better water that's way closer to you, and you don't have to do anything for it, except you need to choose this water. So imagine after having this water set up, you keep walking 10 miles to this well to get dirty water. That makes you sick. You keep going back to it because it just feels right, it feels natural, it's what I've always done, so I have to, I need this well. This is effectively what we do when we choose to go to our sin instead of King Jesus. Because what Jesus offers us, the life that God offers us is so much better. He wants to quench our thirst. Jesus does not want you to be sick from the water anymore. He wants to give us grace. He wants to give us forgiveness. But we have to choose the water system he's giving us. He's not going to force it down your throat. You have to choose the right water. He will not force you to stop going to the well. He's not going to lock your door and leave you in that house. But if you want him to, if you will let him, he will break the chain from that stinking well. He'll break you from the chain of your sin. But if you want to get better, if you want to get healthy, you got to stop going to the well. You have to actually use the new water system. See, I think what changed this woman in our story was not necessarily something Jesus said. I think she was probably a little confused, right? Jesus was probably really smart and really religious, so she didn't really quite know what was going on. So it wasn't about his words. However, I think what changed her was that this man this Jewish man who should not be talking to me, who knows my deepest, darkest flaws, that this man loved her enough to talk to her. She felt love from this man, so in return, she started to care about him. The goal is for this to happen to us. When we encounter Jesus, when we encounter a God that loves us despite our flaws, this should change us because we are grateful, because we love this man. It's not about doing some weird obligations because this man loves me so much that the least I can do is love him back. Too often we think of our sin or our mistakes just as breaking some impersonal law. Just something, an old book 2,000 years ago tells me I shouldn't do, and it probably doesn't really matter, right? That's 2,000 years ago. It's the 21st century. Why would what I do matter to God? Well, it matters to God because he loves us. Jesus knows that our sin chains us down. He knows that our mistakes, our addictions burden us. And Jesus does not want you to be in chains. Jesus wants you to be free, free from the grip of sin. See, no one feels free when they're addicted to pornography. No one feels free the day after going out and getting hammered. No one feels free in the trap of comparison and being prideful and envy and a lack of patience. These things don't help us feel free, they trap us. So when we sin, we don't just break some impersonal law, but rather when we sin, we break the personal heart of God. Because when we do not obey Jesus, when we do not do what he says, we are effectively saying one of two things. We are either saying that we are smarter than God, or we are saying that God doesn't care about us. Because think of this, if God is all-knowing, if God is the smartest being in the universe and knows everything, then God knows what's best, right? If God is all-knowing and also all-loving, like he loves you, that means he not only knows what's best, he knows what's best for you because he's smarter than you and he cares more about you than you care about yourself because he's all good, all loving, and all knowing. So when we go against God, we break his heart because we're saying, God, I don't trust you. We're saying, God, I prefer my chains to the freedom that you're offering me. We think that we know better. So sin's a big deal because it's breaking the personal heart of the God of the universe. A God that loves you so much, a God that loves you way more than your earthly father or mother ever could. A God that loves you despite your flaws and mistakes. A God that is here for you, just wants you to be with him. A God that loves us when we spit in his face and say, I'm not going to listen to you. A God that loves us when we break his heart over and over again, every day, making mistakes. He's still there loving us. He just wants to give us hope for freedom and for change. See, this woman in our story, she was a slave to the well. She had to keep going back to it. Jesus does not want you to be a slave. He wants you to have living water to quench all your thirsts. By Jesus engaging this woman, he's embodying the gospel. The gospel is just the good news of Jesus. See, because this woman, she came to the well alone. She came ashamed, broken, and living in sin. And according to their society, like I've said, Jesus should never have talked to her. However, he did. That's what Jesus did for us we are broken we are alone and full of sin however jesus christ loves us so much that he came to earth jesus lived a perfect life and he died on a cross for our sin jesus paid for our mistakes he bore our guilt and shame that should change us that there's a god that loves us enough to take our punishment that's not something that happens in society right we don't pay each other's debts but the god of the universe did and this is how jesus breaks our chains See, Jesus saw that we'd make mistakes. Jesus knew that we'd screw up and come up short. However, he loved us enough that he wanted to give us hope. Jesus wanted to give us living water. So he broke the chains of death off of our lives through dying on a cross, but then rising from that grave three days later. That's our hope. Jesus is a chain breaker because nothing could chain him down. Even the most powerful thing in the universe, which is death, could not chain him. And Jesus looking at us tonight and saying, I want to break your chains. I want to free you. Jesus wants to free you not only from our sins and our struggles, he also wants to free you from death. He wants to free you from hell so we can spend eternity with him. And all we have to do is engage him and drink the water that he's given us. That means we need to accept him as our Lord, accept him as our liberator so that he can break our chains. For those of you that have been following Jesus, you might be thinking, how does this apply? He's already broke my chains. Well, Jesus wants to break a chain off your life as well. He wants to move you from bondage to liberty. If you've been following Jesus, I would like you to listen up, please. I want you to imagine that there's a woman and this woman is a servant. She's under the law of her master. She tries her best to please her master and do whatever he says from this sense of duty. This servant cooks, she cleans, she takes care of the house because it is her obligation, it's her duty. She wants to fulfill her master's wish. But then one day, the master comes to this woman and he says, I love you and I want to marry you. I don't want you to be my servant. I want you to be my bride. I want you to be my wife. I want you to share in my fortune because I love you. He wants you to go from servant to bride. She might still cook, she might still clean, she might still take care of the house, but now she's doing so simply because she loves her husband who loved her first. It's not about obligation or duty. She just wants to make her husband happy because she cares about him. Jesus does not want you to be his servant, but his bride. Jesus wants you to obey him, not out of some sense of duty, but because you love him and do not want to break the personal heart of God. Jesus wants to free you from bondage and change you to serve him, from a sense of liberty. If you would all stand with me. Maybe you're here tonight and if you're honest with yourself, you've not been drinking this living water of Jesus. You have not been spending your life with Jesus and you're looking for hope. Maybe you've never followed Jesus before, but you want hope for your future. You want hope for your eternity. You want a purpose. If that's you, Jesus wants to set you free tonight, not tomorrow. He wants to set you free tonight. Jesus wants to give you hope. Jesus wants to be your king. Jesus wants to cover every sin and every mistake and every shortcoming in your life. Maybe you're here and if you're honest, you follow Jesus, but you feel chained by something. You feel like the woman, she was trapped by the well and her thirst and you feel trapped by something. There's something that's been tugging at you all night. Jesus wants to give you hope. Jesus wants to break your chain. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe it's a relationship that you probably shouldn't be in. Maybe it's an addiction and you want this freedom that Jesus offers, Jesus would like to set you free tonight as well. Or maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus, but it's felt like duty or an obligation and you feel this bondage. Jesus wants you to go from servant to bride. Jesus wants to set you free to pursue him, not out of obligation, but out of love. We all struggle with hopelessness sometimes, right? See, our generation needs hope. It's been a hard couple years. And if you felt hopeless about an addiction, a sin issue, hopeless about your relationship with God, maybe you feel hopeless about your future, Jesus wants to change that tonight. He wants to give you hope for freedom and change. We can be a group that's enslaved to our mistakes, our past, our obligation, or we can be free. We can pursue Jesus simply because he loves us. We do not want to break the personal heart of our bridegroom. We can recognize our mistakes and change our actions so that we can freely pursue Jesus. We can have hope for freedom and change. Something we do every week here at Kyle is I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to actually do something about what God might be speaking to you. So if everyone will close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're here tonight and that first group I was talking about, If you feel like you've never drank the living water of God or you've run away from him and you have not been following Jesus and you want to change that, you want to stop going back to that old dirty well and you want to use the well that God has given you, you want to have a relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you on the count of three to raise your hand, not just so people can look around because they're not, but so you can do an outward motion, an outward invitation to say, Jesus, I'm all in. So that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus tonight. On the count of three, I challenge you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, we love you so much. I'm gonna pray. Jesus, you're so good. I pray for our students, God, that they will just run after you. God, I pray that students will have a relationship with you, God. I thank you for my new brothers and sisters in the kingdom, God, that you've done a powerful, powerful thing. We love you so much. Amen. Amen, I have a second question. If you're here tonight and you want Jesus to set you free from something, whether that's a sin issue whether it's the feeling of bondage, like you have to be just a perfect person, perfect servant. If you have something in your life that you want freedom from, I challenge you to raise both of your hands right now. As we go into this song and as we worship, this is an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, set me free. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that we get to serve you, God. We thank you that you call us bride. We love you so much. Amen.